Welcome to the Woodridge Baptist Church Podcast. For more information about what's happening in the life of our church, visit our website at www.woodridge.org. Enjoy the podcast. How y'all doing this morning? I invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 32 with me this morning as we continue our study on prayer. I've been hoping that something would be reclaimed for Christ and his church Uh, Our responsibility is this space. Uh, We can't be present at every church across the world, but we can be present in this space. I've been praying that there would be a genuine movement of the Holy Spirit of God and the people of God, uh, that we would see the kind of change that only God can bring that includes in his own people, but as well as people that don't know him. And I don't know how else to do it except to get to a point in my personal life where I just cry out to God. Uh, that the, the, the first thing that I see is my need. And then once I see my need, then I'm going to be communicating that with, with a lot of openness and honesty. Uh, that there are times, John Calvin wrote in the Institutes, in the beginning of the Institutes, he's, he talked about, you know, when he actually would see God, he would see himself for who he truly was. And he would have this reaction, much like Isaiah, you know, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. And when you see God like that, it just kind of breaks you down, it puts you down on your knees. And the only thing that you have after that is to go to God and say, this is who I am, but make me something different. Make me something new. That's the kind of thing that you can have when you have a vibrant and powerful prayer life, when you're open and honest before God. And we're going to be looking in Exodus chapter 32 at a time where with the Israelites, it is not their best moment. You could probably look at your life and even reflect, maybe even on a day this week where you go, that was not my best moment. This was not their best moment. I'm going to give you a little bit of background on on what's happening here before Exodus 32. Uh, God has done amazing things for the people of Israel. He's delivered them from the most powerful empire in the world That's impressive, wouldn't you agree? And he did it through 10 plagues, which would have been equally impressive to be a part of and to watch. He destroys an Egyptian army, which would be also impressive to see. He gets them past that. He leads them through the Sinai wilderness. And if you've never been there, I'm telling you, friends, there is nothing out there. Uh, you know, when I was going through the Sinai wilderness with some of our church members, you're just looking out and you go, you know, I probably would complain a little bit myself out here. I mean, this is rough. I mean, it's either sand or mountains and that's about it. This was the journey that they had, but all along the way, it's like, which way do we go? And they didn't have GPS back then, except they did. Because they would have a pillar of cloud by day, they had a pillar of fire by night. You can imagine as you're walking out in that space, you go, you know what? Water's not everywhere. It's not, oh, let's just go over here and draw some up. Water was hard to find, and God always provided water for them. There came a time where they got hungry, and in the midst of their hunger, God provided for their every need. Not necessarily all of their wants, but he gave for every need that they had. One of the things that he even provided for them was quail. I don't know how many of you have ever had quail, but you can't beat that, people. Uh, Maybe it's just an Evans tradition, but growing up, one of the things that we had on Christmas lunch was fried quail. And I just want to say, highly recommend it. Fried quail, biscuits, gravy. You can't beat that stuff. And God's just dropping this stuff from the sky, right? And they're getting up and going, we got snacks today. God was good. God was really good. I mean, it's one thing to say, you've delivered us from the Egyptians, but dropping quail from the sky, I mean, come on, that's next level. And God was doing all of it. 
And then you get to Exodus chapter 20. And in Exodus chapter 20, they get, they get the law. They get the Ten Commandments. They're getting instructions for the tabernacle and it being built. They're getting instructions for the Ark of the Covenant and it being built. And with the building of all of this, it's also that God is consecrating a space for his people where they can meet with him. This is a beautiful and special time. I I don't know about you, but have you ever had an experience in your life where you see the manifest power of God and you go, it's undeniably God and I thank him for the way that he showed himself to me today. That's kind of this moment for the people of Israel. However, as they're getting these instructions and they're building the tabernacle and they're building the ark and only at this point do we get Moses, where is this guy? Well, at this point, he's not with the people. He's actually up on the mountain. And it's been a while since they've seen him, so hold that in mind. If you look at the book of Exodus, you have these descriptions for the building of the tabernacle, and this goes on for 12 chapters. That's a lot of reading, by the way. Moses has been up on the mountain now for 12 chapters. And the account of this is interrupted by a moment in the life of Israel where they do something that they shouldn't have done. Have you ever had that before? Great moment of victory, and then boom, right in to a pattern of life that we shouldn't be doing. And what they did is they built a golden calf, and that's what we're gonna be looking at today. There's one Old Testament scholar, he said this. He said, their apostasy, meaning they're walking away from God, their, their apostasy, the apostasy of the people interfered with the building of the sanctuary that was to be the tent of meeting between God and Israel. And here's what he went on to say. That work could begin only after there was a time of reconciliation between God and the people because of what they had done. So it's like, here's this place of worship that's being built, and God says, yeah, shut that down because the people gotta get it right again. And then we'll get back to the process of building the space where we can meet again. So I wanna focus on this part this morning because this is part of the context of what we're talking about. In chapter 24, Moses entered the cloud that went up the mountain. He's up there for 40 days and 40 nights. Now imagine that this is the guy that's leading you through the wilderness and you don't see him for 40 days. Do you have a question? I probably would. What what if the President of the United States just disappears for like 40 days and 40 nights? Oh, hey, no. I don't know. All right, stop, stop. (laughs) Golly. That is not what I meant. (laughs) Y'all, you people. I tell you what, I want to backtrack and give another example, but I'm stumped. (laughs) Uh, Cat's out of the bag, so let's roll with it. Are you with me? All right. Let's imagine that a president that you really like is, is just, and it's a time of crisis. It's not like everything is going well. It's a time of crisis, and, and he's just gone. How many of you would say, hey, where's that guy at? I probably would, wouldn't you? I mean, especially if he's the one that's supposed to be leading us from where we're at to where we're, we're trying to get. Sorry for the example. I, sometimes you do things on the fly, and you go, well, too late, too late. That's basically what's happening here. Moses hasn't come down. 
And the people feel like God hasn't shown up either. And that's a strange thing for people to feel. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, you've just been delivered from the most powerful army in the world. You've been delivered through the sea. And you go, you know, I don't know that I'm actually feeling God right now. What? Uh, what, what else do you need to know that God is with you? For them, I guess the answer was um, a little bit more. And here's what it says, because they start to get ticked off. And there's this guy at the bottom of the mountain. You might be thinking the vice president, but I don't want to do that today. <laughs> uh, Aaron is down there at the bottom. And what it says is the people are getting really upset. And so if you read in Exodus 32, it says they gathered together and went to Aaron. But that's actually not what it says. It says they went and went against him. So all of these people are going up. Aaron is sitting at the base. And here, can you imagine all these people coming up? And Aaron's like, oh my gosh, where's Moses? He's probably wanting this guy to come back down right now as well. So they're against him because they're so upset. And here's what they say. They say, they say, let us make gods who will go before us. Let us make them. So they do. They fashion this calf, this golden calf, and they're giving themselves over to it. Now, let's imagine there are two different ways that this is looked at. Here's the first is that they're fashioning this golden calf to Yahweh who has just delivered them. That's one possibility. There's only one huge problem with that is that they've already been given the law and they were told not to make any graven images. So even if you're like, yeah, we're gonna do a great thing and we're gonna, we're gonna have this, this calf to worship Yahweh. Yahweh's like, I didn't ask you to do that. In fact, I told you not to do that. So let's put that one down. I think instead the better way of looking at it is that they're fashioning this calf so that they can worship other gods. Now let's imagine for a second that you are God. Is that going to, that's a hard thing to imagine, isn't it? But let's imagine for a second that you are God and you see them doing something like, is that gonna upset you? Especially after everything that you've just done for them, do you think that that's going to bother you a little bit? So what happens is, Moses, eventually, in chapter 32, verse 26, is going to look at the people and say, who is on God's side? Who is on God's side? And that language that he uses there is showdown language. It's fighting language. Because he's asking people at that point to draw the line on who it is that they're really going to align themselves with. The problem is, they're already showing who they're aligning themselves with. So remember this. They're probably getting the gold from, well, the people when they left Egypt. It says that they took gold with them as they were beginning the journey out. But here's the thing. When they couple gold with a ritual like they just did in the building of the calf, there's always something else behind it. There's all, it's coming from somewhere. It got me wondering this. You know, so they build a golden what? Calf, exactly. So I started thinking, well, why is it that they built a calf and not like a golden snake? Something like that. And the answer is, is because of where they came from and how, how and who the Egyptians worshiped and they brought that right back into their flow of life. Let me give you a little bit of background here. Um, the calf was commonly used to represent deities in the ancient Near East and especially in Egypt. I've given you a couple of pictures here of images that if you've ever been in Egypt you would see on walls. Uh, Apis, Apis was the most sacred Egyptian bull. You see it in the first picture here. Uh, Isis, and I don't mean people in the Middle East. Isis 
to the Egyptians was known as the queen of the gods and is represented, as you can see in some images here, with cow's horns on her head. Uh, there's another goddess named Hathor. Hathor to the Egyptians was, was, uh, was married to Horus. All right, now hold on, because I'm gonna get you there. Are y'all with me so far? She is married to Horus. Horus was the child, they believed, of Isis and Osiris. Now, the reason this mattered to the Egyptians is because, you remember, they worshipped the Pharaoh. They thought that the Pharaoh was a god. And in fact, who they thought the Pharaoh was, was this guy, Horus, in the flesh. So you see all of this imagery of of bulls and calves, it means something to the Egyptians, but the Israelites that had been under the oppression of the Egyptians, all of the, they knew exactly what they were doing. They had walked away from Yahweh and they had gone back into aligning themselves with the worship of the gods that they were trying to leave. Here, let's create, I don't know, a calf. It wasn't random. And here's what it says in Exodus 32, six. It says that the people rose up to play. Some of your translations will say they rose up to revel. Now that's a really kind word there, friends. Because what they're actually doing is not only are they having worship services to Egyptian gods, the word revel there is inherently sexual. So the the train has gone off the tracks is basically another way of saying it. Everything that they could have done to walk away from God, they are in fact in practice in their life is what they are doing. And so Moses is up on the mountain. At this point, he doesn't know what's going on, but God does. And you see this in chapter 32, verse seven, because what God says is he looks at Moses and he says, I need you to go down. And I love what he says in verse seven, he says, because your people have corrupted themselves. Now let's think about that for a second. Any parents out there this morning? Have you ever had this moment where you get home and your spouse says, your son or your daughter, that's this moment right here, your people. All up to this time, you've been hearing something completely different. God looks at the people of Israel and he says, my people, my people. And now he looks at Moses and he goes, your folk. You need to go down the mountain and you need to talk to these people because they have completely lost their way. They have corrupted themselves. And then in verse 10, he says, and leave me alone so that my anger can burn against them and I'm gonna destroy them. God is upset. That might be an understatement given the verse that I just read. He said, but then I'll make you a great nation. And this is the reply. And this is what I want us to focus on this morning because Moses hears this from God. And before he goes down, it says, but Moses sought favor of the Lord his God. And he said, Lord, why does your anger burn against your, did you notice what Moses just said back to God? God says, these are your people. And he goes, no, these are your people. Why does your anger burn against your people that you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a strong hand? Why should the Egyptians say he brought them out with an evil intent to kill them in the mountains and to eliminate them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger and relent. Or another way of understanding that is he's saying, I'm asking you to change your mind. Don't bring this judgment on them. Concerning this disaster plan for your people, Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. You you swore to them by yourself and you declared, I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky 
I will give your offspring all this land that I've promised. They will inherit it forever. Basically, this is what Moses is saying to God. You made this promise. You made it. So the Lord relented concerning the disaster he had said he would bring on his people. Here we've been talking about prayer. And one of the questions with this passage is, does prayer change the mind of God? God relents when Moses prays. Did Moses really change God's mind? Especially when we consider something like Numbers chapter 23 verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie, now a son of man that he should change his mind. How do you hold these two things kind of in tension with each other? And I want to give you a couple of thoughts on that this morning, and especially as you go into your time where you're talking with God. And here's the first thing I want you to remember, and I think J.D. Gurr said it well, God's purposes for us and his people don't change. They don't change. See, even in this story, God doesn't learn anything new. He doesn't gain wisdom from Moses. Oh yeah, that's right, I forgot. Uh, I made that promise. Glad you brought that up. He, he, He hadn't forgotten that. That's not what's going on here. Instead, and I think this is a good way of looking at it, God's attitude towards sin is always anger. When, even when you see your child doing something that is ultimately going to be harmful to them, good parents typically respond with a healthy anger. A healthy one, not an unhealthy one. And the reason that you respond that way is because you want good for your kids. You don't want harm. And when you see them making choices that are basically a pathway, literally a direct pathway to harm, a good and healthy response from a parent is going to be a right kind of anger because of the good that you want for them. This is no different with with God who loves us and with God who loves these people. His attitude towards sin is always anger and his attitude toward those who call to him is always mercy. It's always mercy. So before Moses prayed for Israel, they were under God's judgment. Did you see God saying that? I'm gonna bring judgment. But by Moses' intercession for the people of Israel, he brought them under God's mercy. I I wanna tell you this this morning. God didn't change. The circumstances changed. The circumstances changed. You have someone that both for him and his people is saying, God, we're begging for your mercy. That's not what's happening at the bottom of the mountain, is it? But you have one that's standing in the gap. See, this is what I think we're supposed to get from this, is God wants to see that we see the need to call out to him. He wants to see that from us. That's the first thing. His purposes for us don't change. But this is the second thing. Our prayers are instrumental as God's plans are happening or unfolding. You gotta remember, God is the one who tells Moses to go down the mountain, right? Moses didn't say, stop, I'll go down the mountain. God said, go down the mountain. He's the one that told him. Moses didn't know what was going on. So God put Moses in a situation where he would see the problem and he would remember the promise. God wants Moses to ask for deliverance. He wants that from him. And so here's here's why. It's because prayer gets us talking to God again. Sin gets us to not talking with God Prayer gets us to talking with God again. And so Moses is the one that God is going to use as an instrument to go to his people to say, this mess has to stop and you need to start talking again to the God who delivered you. That's a good message for us today too, don't you think? See, some of the stuff that's going on, 
probably in some of the quietest and even darkest places of your heart and your life. It needs to stop. The stronghold needs to be broken. You need to be calling back out to God again, just like them. That's why I think this is such a beautiful example for us. Prayer gets us talking to God again, even in our messiest places. And that's why God places him there. He places him in front of the people. Who would want to be Moses? (laughs) Who would want to be? I want you to go and I want you to confront everybody. Uh, No. But this is exactly what leaders have to do. Usually, and you see this throughout scripture, they're the ones that are often having to stand alone while the masses are off doing their own thing. And the leaders are the ones saying, come back, come back. Moses is that guy. So the reason that God keeps calling the Israelites, remember he says, your people. Go to your people. The reason I think that he said that, I don't think it's because God has forgotten them, but because God wants Moses to see them the way that he's seeing them. These are your people too. Are you gonna love them the way that I love them? Enough to even go and see them and to say some difficult things for their good, for their good. Are you gonna do that? Because without asking, have you already caught it? Israel's gonna be destroyed. Without asking, Israel is destroyed. And it brings up this important difference that you have to hold in your mind and it's between what is often called the conditional will of God and the unconditional will of God. See, there are some things that God has already just set in place. He's like, this is just the way it's gonna be because I'm the Lord and I'm the one that can make these decisions. But you find in scripture, all throughout scripture, plenty of times where it says, if you will obey, then I will. If and then. There are conditions there, are you catching it? There are conditions that are in place. And this is one of those moments for the people of Israel. And so realizing, and this is something that some of you, I think, need to think about when you look at your work or you look at your family and where it is that God has literally physically put you in a space for the difference that you can make in the hearts and the lives of people, much like Moses, physically going back to the people, realizing that God puts you in the places that you are in because he wants you to be an instrument of his power and that is what will give you the motivation to pray because you can't do it on your own. You can't do it. There isn't one person in this room today that has the power to change anybody's heart. You can't. But you can point people in the right direction from where they're at to where they ought to be and let the Holy Spirit do the work on the heart so that the change can come about. So an instrument of God's power and you call on God in prayer so that what he wants to bring about can actually happen. And so Moses, he heard what God wanted done and he prayed that it would come into effect. Think about your home. What does God want done? You beg to God, bring it into effect. A stronghold in your marriage, you pray that God breaks it and brings it into effect. You see a stronghold in the life of your child. It could be drugs, alcohol, pornography, I don't know, but you're praying to God. And I'm talking begging. I don't know how else that you can go to God, but you're begging to God to break this down and to bring something new into the space. That is why you are there as an instrument of God and prayer is the way that he brings it about. He's saying, talk to me again. Talk to me again. There's another thing in this story that I do think is really powerful for us today. Something that we see because there's a parallel between what Moses did for the people of Israel and what Jesus did for us. There's a parallel here. 
Listen to it. Like Moses, Jesus stood in the gap between the understandable anger of God and the sin of the people. Did you see that in Exodus 32? And can you see it in Jesus? And like Moses, Jesus offered for God to take his life rather than to destroy them because that's what he said. He said, God, if you, if you won't relent, then take me. Not them, but go ahead and take me. Does that sound familiar to anybody else? Where Jesus looks at the cross and he says, this is worth it. And I invite you to take me rather than them. Moses only offered it, my friends. Jesus actually did it. There, there's no greater love that any man can have than this, that he would lay his life down for his brother. And that's what Jesus did for us. And so I want you to think about this verse because it's incredibly important. Your beliefs matter. What you believe about God matters. It matters. Did you know that your beliefs about a lot of things matter? For example, there isn't one person in this room that is a relativist when it comes to medicine. Did you know that? You can, as long as you believe something sincerely, then it's fine that you believe it. Nobody in this room believes this when it comes to medicine. Nobody. You know, because I could tell you this. I could say, you know what? I see that you have an infection and uh, you can take rat poison uh, or you can take an antibiotic. Both are gonna take care of you. <laughs> Everybody in this space is going to be like, I think I'll go with the antibiotic, thanks. And do you know why? It's because you believe some things that there's a way that the world is. And that taking rat poison, I mean, it'll take care of you for sure. Just not in the way that you want. Nobody is a relativist when it comes to medicine. We don't need to be this way when it comes to God. And this is what Jesus said about himself. It was an invitation to me. It is an invitation to you. Just like it was even back in the day when God is going. Notice the Israelites aren't going to God. God is going to them. You've messed this up. And in spite of that, I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you. Here's what Jesus said. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be the children of God to those who believe in his name. Your beliefs matter. Your beliefs matter. And this is what I love so much about the graciousness of Jesus to me is that though I was dead in my sin, he came to me. I don't know what else Jesus could have done. I don't. But then the key was how I respond to him coming to me. That's the key. But to all who believed him and received him, he gives you the right to be a child of God. And that promise still stands today for every single one of us. For those of you that maybe long ago you claimed Christ, when you did it, you were claiming a new loyalty. That's what you were doing. You know, Christ is pictured in scripture as a king and there's a reason for that. He has rule and authority. And when you go, you're switching kings. You know, the dominion of darkness in scripture is also called a kingdom. We're under that. And then when we leave and we go to Christ, we're claiming a new loyalty. We're claiming a new king. We're claiming a new way of life. We're saying, that's the place that I'm gonna be. That is the king that I'm gonna put myself under his leadership. That's what's happening. When you believe what he's saying to you, and you claim it, he says, you have every right to be called my child. Every right. Otherwise, we continue to wander away. 
we continue to walk off. And we never receive the blessing that he wants as a good, like a good parent would want for his children. We never received it because we denied it. This morning can be different for you. Christians, for some of you, it's reclaiming something for your life in prayer as you talk to the Lord who's been gracious to you because you've wandered off like the Israelites in Exodus 32. Today can be a day where you claim your life and your family back for God. And I wanna give you some time to pray. Staff is gonna be around the back. They're ready to receive you. Maybe you need to talk with someone. Maybe you need someone to pray over you. We have people that are ready to receive you right now. But the one that is most ready to receive you, especially those that came in here looking today, the number one that is ready to receive you today is Jesus Christ himself, ready to make you his child and an heir of everything that he gives by his grace to you and for your good. That is what this is about. We hope you have enjoyed the podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.woodridge.org.